Hello, and welcome to The Windsor Knot, a royal wedding podcast. My name's Joe Scrabbles, and I'm joined by the beautiful Daniel Kruper. Oh, that's very nice of you. Thank you, Joe. That's Hello. quite all right. Hello. Uh, this is our second episode, and as such, we will now be entering into the usual format. This is no longer Origins territory. The story is done. We're in the middle of the nuptial yes, run-up. So, so deal with it. Exactly. And what we're going to be doing... This is sort of the coverage of the coverage. Each week we're going to be taking news stories about the royal engagement and the upcoming royal wedding and analysing them and throwing shade on the people who wrote them. Is that most what you're likely. doing? Mine's really sincere. You love them. I'm angling for a big royal correspondent gig. Are you... I mean... Witchel. Really what you want is... I'm an gunning in- for Witchell. You're gunning for Witchell and you want an invite to that wedding. Yeah. Imagine Absolutely. if that happened. It's only 800 people in the place, I found out. It's much smaller than uh, old Katie and Will's. Modest. I'm learning a lot. Yeah, it's so modest. <laughs> it's it's going to be a very modest affair. It's a very modest 800-person wedding. Um, yeah. So what are we doing today? So it's, it's logistics today, is it, Joe? But that's, that's our retroactive theme, the logistics of a wedding. You'll be covering food. I'll be covering sleep of a sort, where people will be sleeping on the night. Before the wedding. Okay, excellent. So I'm first, am I? So you are. Um, you can tell I've been trying to lose some weight recently. I've basically just been googling food, just cakes. Just been reading about food, um, and because I was just googling about food, I came across this massive expose of Her- Harry in the run up to his wedding. Okay, this is terrible. This is on Hello Magazine's website. An expose. Expose. I can't believe. This. Do they use the word exclusive or scoop? No. Um, Prince Harry reveals the one food he's never eaten. Oh, so he's done it. So this headline. It's the one food he's never eaten. Oh, so yeah. he's eaten all other foods. Which the grubs? The spoilers from cars? Bush meat. Bush meat? <laughs> Human forbidden meat. The forbidden meat. Uh, <laughs> Prince Harry has opened about the one food he's never tried. Donut kebabs. What? So Wait, you... that means he's had shish kebabs. That means he's had chicken kebabs. Shawarma. Shawarma. Exactly, you could have had the equivalent. He's not had a donut kebab, apparently. I love the term Prince Harry has opened up. Like, like it's like confessional a, state. Like a well-cut pitter. <laughs> and do you want to know who coaxed this revelation out of him? Go on. It wasn't Paxman. It wasn't uh, Ian Duncan Smith. <laughs> well, it definitely wasn't Ian Duncan I Smith. I couldn't think of anyone serious. It was Marnie Ahmed, a young boy who met the royal after he received the award for Inspirational Child at the Well Child Awards. World uh, Child Award. The Well Child. Oh, okay. I think he was sick and now he's well again. Oh, well done to him. And he's got an award to recognise that feat. After, well done, the, after the prince juiced himself, the pair started chatting about food. So, I really thought you said after the prince juiced himself, like he got a big roid needle. I don't think you should be doing that if you're the patron of a well-established children's charity. Well, you get kicked out of the Invictus Games, which he set up. Or maybe win a new event. Um, after the prince introduced himself to Marnie, the pair started chatting about food, as he would in a hospital ward. Marnie said... He moved on to me and said, do you like hospital food? I was like, what? Like? No, it's the worst thing ever. He then revealed to me that he'd never had a doner kebab. What weird jump! <laughs> do you like hospital food? No, I've never even done a kebab! And then Harry goes, I can't say I have had one, but my friends have. So I again, still so. in touch with the common man. No, because his friends definitely aren't the common man, are they? Well, They're other Apache pilots who got the grade three training. 
Well, he's, he's, again, he's in touch. He's, no, he's in touch with the common man. It's like You're when really I went, desperate to like him. I, try, I am. I, I want. This is me. I want to see the best in people. I'm I undecided. See, but then at the same time, I've also seen posh people in a kebab shop late at night. So I went to Durham University and I saw a man once putting garlic sauce on the end of his knob. Well, well, well. That's quite something. So I'm I'm basically in a bind because I want to imagine Harry in a kebab shop late at night. But I also have that image of a man, quite a posh man, in a gilet, squirting a bit of white sauce on the end of his todger. I've seen people using those big mayonnaise pumps to pretend, you know, that they're creating effluvia. Yeah, actually, maybe he had a standard-sized pe- penis, but the size of the of the bottle like has undone Dwarfed him. It. Has undone him. But, uh, yeah, so, like, you, you've created an unshakable mental connection between kebabs and bad posh behaviour. Yeah, I have, actually. Yeah, that's what we've it's, delved it might into. Be, it might be unwarranted, but I feel like that revelation actually elevates Harry quite considerably in my eyes. You and I have a WhatsApp group specifically dedicated <laughs> to sending each oh, other... Oh, this is coming out, is it? Yeah, sending each... It's called Night Meals, and it's about sending each other pictures of... Uh, meals we get after nights out. Illicit meals. And there's no words allowed in no, the group. Early there's pictures on, only. Early on in this group, I actually um, wrote yeah. a message that I had to subsequently delete because I felt bad for breaking the implicit rules of night, night meals. meals. Uh, I know for a fact that at least through the period of, I would guess, September to December, you had quite a lot of kebab shop food. Yeah, it's mainly chicken cottage mainly chicken cottage yeah but it's you just because definitely... when i stumble out of tutenbeck station it is the brightest thing i can see but and i'm naturally drawn to it there's a very good story I'm, i know this is a second tangent on top of a tangent but there's a very good story that danny wallace tells where he once heard a story about how santana the musician only likes <laughs> his say, the bank or the guitar santana okay. the guitarist only likes having a bath at the temperature that when... Oh, no, he says the best bath is the temperature at which you can sit down in it and it feels like you've not... You can't feel any temperature difference between the air okay. and that, which I think... Equilibrium. A, terrible because it'll get cold straight away. But Danny Wallace says that ever since he's heard this, he can't have a bath without thinking of Santana, which sounds to me like you go into a kebab shop and always think of garlic mayonnaise knob. Is that correct? I wouldn't oh, let me think about this because I I need to I need to like blur it down to know what I actually think about this. I do really like garlic mayonnaise. You br- this is it. You brought it up as like a horror story. So this was meant so be, much this is meant to be my that. frivolous story to open the show with, and now it's turned into this weird examination of what I can. It's very ontological. This show we, yeah. we we say one thing, we dig down into what it means to be. You know, here. I have a lot of neuroses about class. <laughs> You can't be springing this on me. <laughs> well, all right. I mean, of course, we can leave I, of it course there. I do. I have this accent. How can I not? How can I have this accent and also like garlic sauce? Joe, do your story. All right. Jesus. That's the end of your story. There's nothing more to it. It's just not out of Donna Kebab. What, what more do you want from Hello no, Magazine? No, I just wondered if there was context. Of course there's context. He was, he was speaking to this young lad in hospital. That's very fair. What more context do you well, need? Well, after your story, this is going to seem like I'm very serious. Okay. But I just thought... Like this genuinely really angered me. From this is from the Guardian. Um, Simon Dudley, the uh, Windsor Council's Conservative leader, of course, Windsor Castle uh, being used as the staging grounds for the wedding and its surrounding events. Um, <laughs> it sound like PUBG. He is a bit. This <laughs> being dropped. In. Well, I actually, I'll tell you what. Simon Dudley <laughs> sounds like he'd love a PUBG situation here. 
Um, he wrote to Thames Valley Police this week, and this was a few weeks back, I apologise, seeking action against aggressive begging and intimidation and bags and detritus accumulating on the streets, by which he means homeless people. Like, bags and detritus, that's sleeping bags and the people inside them. <laughs> Simon Dudley... Actually a bad person. I was going to swear. We're trying not to swear as much, but C word. Yeah. Right. He's at least a certified twat. Yeah, exactly. Like a nice, like friendly (laughs) (laughs) T-bomb. The letter seen by The Guardian follows a series of tweets sent by Dudley while on a skiing holiday in Wyoming in which he referred to an epidemic of rough sleeping and vagrancy in Windsor. And said residents have had enough of this exploitation, <laughs> begging, and uh, uh, this ex- exploitation of residents and six million tourists per annum. Uh, and he wrote, he said he would write to the Thames Valley Police asking them to focus on dealing with this before the royal wedding. Right. What he wanted them to do was enforce a law. Uh, where is it? Let's have a look. The, uh, it's called the Vagrancy Act. Okay. Guess what year the Vagrancy Act was passed in? Like, go on. 1824. He wanted to... An 18, a 19th century law passed, or used, I should say, that includes like criminality for homelessness. And he wanted all the homeless people in Windsor to be put in jail before the royal wedding so that they wouldn't beg the tourists. <laughs> what an absolute prick. He's a history buff, Joe. He's a history... <laughs> That's what we should Just be doing... It is really complimenting what I imagine is a private school's curriculum. I tell you what, they are good at history in the private school sector. Well, I was bad at it, and I was in the private school <laughs> sector, so I can't vouch for that. Uh, Simon Dudley, I cannot imagine ever not wanting to punch that man in the face. Um, yeah, he said... Uh, well, sorry... Uh, Murphy James of the Windsor Homelessness Project said that the 1824 Vagrancy Act was the most inappropriate way of dealing with the problem. Uh, <laughs> oh, sorry, just shooting it, them point blank Isn't range. it mad that Murphy James, a man who has clearly dedicated himself to a very good cause, has had to say that about a seated politician? <laughs> That's insane. Um, thankfully, it led to Theresa May criticising him directly, uh, which is the best thing Theresa May's ever done, possibly. Yeah, I think it's- um, so, to be honest, it's not a massive list no, no, no. to choose from, Joe. Three Tory councillors resigned after he won a vote of no confidence against him, so he's still uh, still there. After making the controversial comments, Mr Dudley apologised and said he was not referring to, in quotes, genuine homeless people. What the fuck does that mean? Genuine? Yeah. So what is he thinking people are commuting in and putting on, like... I have no idea, man. I, this made me so angry. Like, the idea that, you know, we have the royals going to... Like, say what you want about the royals. It's going to, like, do good things for that area. The idea that you're just like... And, yeah, what we should probably do is use it as a sort of uh, smoke screen what, to, like, clean ge- <laughs> up the most vulnerable people in our society. That's what we want. That's really the spirit of Britain. That's what we want over the royal wedding. Fuck you, Simon Tudley. That's the end of my uh, story. Certified twat. Yeah. Um, Let's get back to nice things, oh, shall I'm we? I'm still peckish, Joe. I'm still... <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm still peckish. We've not through, thought through the uh, the sort of tone shifts in our story. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, no, that is a bang-up story, yeah. and I, I'm wholeheartedly about that. But 
Do you want to know about a cake made out of cheese? Yes, I do. Um, so it's a story <laughs> that Harry and Meghan, an unorthodox royal couple, as we know from last week's show, in many ways, mm. the flouting tradition. Yeah. She's a divorcee, for crying out loud. Bloody hell, last time and in America. Why, con- why they continue to flout such tradition when it comes to the cake? Okay, <gasps> um, but- just one second. <laughs> Honestly, if you write news about the royal wedding and you write the words... The last time an American divorcee <laughs> married into the royal family. And follow it up with anything, resign. Like, it is the worst take you can have. Yeah, absolutely. Honestly. Um, so, apparently they were doing, you know, they, they were travelling the country in the lead-up to their wedding. And in the Snowdonian Cheese Company, based in Rill, North Wales, presented the couple during the first joint official visit to Wales, which is a big thing because he is a Prince of Wales. And they took a tour of Cardiff Castle and Simon Mercer, director of the cheese company, and presented them with a multi-five-tier cheesecake. What is not that? a cheesecake, a cake, cake made out of cheese. I'm not trying to sound like Peter Kay. That's just the accent. <laughs> is, okay? is cheese com- Is it literally called the cheese company? Uh, the Snowdonia cheese company. Okay, cool. To distinguish it from other surrounding cheese companies. I didn't know if it was like the cheesecake shop, which is a name uh, that always... Like a brand the thing. cheesecake factory, which yes. is a name that always confuses me. Yeah. Have you been to a cheesecake factory? I have never been to a cheesecake factory. The menu is insane. Like, <laughs> right. the menus in America are nuts anyway. Mm. But the menu they present you is Megan like, know all about it's that. like a tome. It's like a Moses-like tome. You found it You found it on a mountaintop it's, carved in it, stone. It's huge. I can't believe that they can make all those dishes. <laughs> well done to them. <laughs> um, Simon Merson said, we made it for them. It's to celebrate their wedding. <laughs> Yes, yes, it will be. Well done for Uh, We do get asked to make wedding cakes occasionally. We have been asked in the past to do it, which is a lovely soundbite. But if you want to know about the wedding cake, do you want to know what the tears are? Of course I do. Oh, hello. Are Um, you a fan of cheese? Because I'm not a big fan of cheese. I am, but I'm very uncultured. Like, I don't like... Unlike the cheese. (laughs) 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 I don't like blue cheese. hate blue cheese. I like blue cheese sauce, which you dip wings in. Which, again, I think substantiates the claim that I'm uncultured. Um, so, one of the layers is something called Black Bomber, an extra mature cheddar. Oh, I've had that. Red Storm. Well, that's, wait, sorry. That's Iraq-like <laughs> violence, isn't it? Red Storm. A vintage Leicester. Viet Cong. No, there. <laughs> sorry. Beechwood, which is a smoked cheddar. Green Thunder. <laughs> No way. The Green Thunder. Red cheddar, Storm and Green Thunder. Cheddar with garlic Wait, and herbs. And the bomber was Black Bomber. Yeah. There's a very violent cheese company going on in Wales. I've only seen four cheeses here. They said it's five tier. I don't know what that's about. Maybe it's one's just a big cracker. I genuinely was about to say, no, you said five because Viet Cong. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> Viet Cong. An exotic cheese. Um, Mr. Mercer says, they are very welcome to take it, but it's unlikely. <laughs> I they just... made them a big cake and they're like, it must happen Leave a lot, it. though. Like people offer this. I've got nowhere to put it. Give it to your mates. But it's like big cake of cheese. Give Just it to homeless about... people in Windsor. Legit. Do that. Um, but with that dude around, they might think it's an elaborate trap. <laughs> yes. um, the Dudley, the Dudley killer. So because I like, don't mean I want to kill Simon Dudley. That's not what I was saying. No, I was no, saying no. Dudley was trying to kill homeless people, which also alleged and parody. Don't sue me. There we go. Covered. Um, so yeah, like there's a lot of discussion around um, them flouting tradition when it comes to their wedding cake, and this led me down kind of a little road where we've been researching what the dominant theory is on their wedding cake. There's actually theories about there, what their oh, wedding mate, cakes are. You, 
you you should read more Deborah Robertson from the Telegraph. It's mad. Like I, I do want to point out as as we we said this last week, but if this is the first time you've listened, we're not like super royal wedding people. This is a this is a subject of new interest to us. Yeah. I cannot believe some of the shit I come across Mate, whilst I look up this topic. You get a load of this. Theories about cakes. This is amazing. This is in the Telegraph. It's by um, a woman called Deborah Robertson. And it's like a think piece um, about why... So this is the title of the piece. Why Meghan and Harry's wedding banana cake would be so right for now. I love banana cake. And it's kind of... It's almost like a Royal and Bart-style mythologies extrapolation of why banana cake is the ideal cake of our time. It's the perfect for, like, a mixed-race couple, and it's like... This is... is... It's insane. Okay. Um, This is quotes. Um, Not, like, talking about a traditional, multi-tiered, white, stodgy fruitcake. I just want to pause for a second to say... I'm delighted that you brought up, brought up Roland Barth. I love, oh, love a bit of Roland. Um, not for, he goes, she goes, not for them, apparently. The stiff and sturdy layers of a traditional cake. No, as befits their delightfully informal approach to life. A banana to cake. To life. A banana cake is what's called for. Eyes to camera. <laughs> the lines. She says that? Yeah. Um, in the unorthodox request, the young couple reflects a growing trend that a wedding should closely reflect the tastes and peccadilloes of the couple rather than the rigidly following airless protocol. Rosalind Miller, award-winning wedding cake designer, has said that the traditional fruitcakes are no longer the popular choice, with couples choosing lighter-flavoured sponges. I'll tell you what. ditching the idea of a sweet cake completely in favour of tiers of port pies or their favourite trees. Now we're talking. Oh, mate. So, Melton Mo Cake. Imagine that. Um... Fruitcakes are one of the worst things you could eat at a wedding, I think. I don't understand it. I, I feel like it's more like you take away a slab, really, than you're enjoying that. It's not nice. No. It just sits there. But it is traditional. Well, uh, yeah, but what? Yeah. But over this thing, is like oh, very unorthodox. Like, basically what she's saying, it's unorthodox for you to have what you want on your wedding day. Yeah. That's unorthodox. Oh, absolutely. Don't let, um, don't let that happen. I love the idea say, that banana cake is a, is a cake for now. Oh, it's amazing. Um, is this Deborah Robinson, did you say? Robertson. Robertson. I want to check in with her because she's got, she's a beautiful writer. Yeah. She's got a real turn of phrase. I love the word peccadillos because the only thing it makes me think of, again, like, you know, when you just create a mental association, Space Jam. What? What? Sorry. The word peccadillos. Yeah. Okay. Um, in there's a bit at the very start where the lad who played uh, Dennis Nedry is walking up to Michael Jordan's house and he's got like this uh, Chrysler. <laughs> oh no, he's walking back with Michael Jordan. He's driving him to the golf course and um, the door won't open. And he has to elbow it and he's like, it's got a few peccadillos. And I didn't know what that word meant. And that's when I first just like, lodged in your mind. That's it forever. That's where I learned that word. I love that word. Like- I just realised you know Space Jam way better than I. I love Space Jam. But, like, you want to know why this is so much traction, this theory? Go on. Again, this is insane. Um, <laughs> former Royal You're Chef... You're angrier about this than I was about Simon Dudley. Yeah, former Royal Chef Darren McGrady has spoken out about how the two... Um, talking about William and Harry. The two young princes loved anything banana flavoured, from flan, ice cream and pudding, to more elaborate caramel and banana cake. Elaborate. And then, again, to add kind of extra weight to this theory, um, several months ago, Megan Instagrammed a picture of two bananas spooning with little faces on them. Wasn't that the first... That was the first time she'd ever alluded to the yeah. to the and, relationship. And with the, with the message, sleep tight, kiss, kiss. And people like now think that... She but, fucking loves bananas. They both love bananas so much that on social media, their preferred avatars are bananas that spoon. 
and therefore they would like a wedding cake that is banana flavored because harry according to darren mcgrady is he's so obsessed with bananas <laughs> that he can't imagine any other form of social avatar being anything but a banana oh i know how we... i may have elaborated a little bit more than i should that's fine i know how we get him to eat a doner kebab now put a fucking banana in it <laughs> harry Banana flavored. That's a fucking banana. Do you like lamb? Don't kebab. worry, it's not lamb. Actually, I'll tell you what. Barbecued banana, like, or fried banana. Or plantain, isn't it? Well, plantain's what you'd want. It's plantain like, more savoury. Yeah, a little bit. But if you had that in a doner kebab, I bet that would be all right. Because it would sort of, uh, you don't put the garlic sauce on, that would be the sweetness of the garlic sauce. So, Donna, you, know, you know where I am mentally now? Is it all right to have a kebab at a wedding? One of the worst weddings I've ever been to, like... Around midnight, when everyone was really pissed, mm-hmm. they brought out bacon sandwiches. Yes, I've had the same thing. It was incredible. Brilliant. I've never... Like, people cried more at that than the wedding. <laughs> Genuinely, actually, you know, if you know, we ever have a wedding, me and you... Yeah. Ask about... Kebab van at 12. <laughs> Imagine that. That would be beautiful. I want my... People would lose their minds. I want my dress to be reflective of Chicken Cottage insignia. Oh, well, I mean, all you need to do is get a sort of uh, aluminium foil one. You can be the special chicken cottage intuiting. <laughs> you know, the amazing <laughs> flagship one. You can unra- it looks like a spaceship, that place. <laughs> you can unravel me like one of the veggie wraps. <gasps> oh, well. And the first dance! What a thought. <laughs> I really want to marry you now. What do you mean now? All right, do yours. <laughs> I wanted to, and now I really want to. Right, this uh, section, our fourth news story, is entitled... Where will Megan sleep? Uh, and this is based on not a not di- on the streets of Windsor. Absolutely not. Although if she wanted to make a very I, good, I would not put it past Megan. Of course you wouldn't, because you love her. Yeah. Um, this is based on a story from the Daily Express, which essentially was asking, "Where will Megan sleep um, on the night before the wedding?" Because that's <laughs> important. I don't know. It's weird. Is that a thing? Apparently, I guess like. Traditionally, bride and groom should be separate, so maybe that's a. Like, a I thing think it's to consideration. Consider. I think it's also, particularly with a royal wedding. I suppose you don't want somewhere far away where the car could get slowed down by people who know that you're there, yeah, and all that stuff. So I think um, oh, something a pleb wouldn't have to think about. Exactly. So Kate stayed in a hotel ten minutes from Westminster Abbey, and so they're basing a lot of their uh, their <laughs> theories on this. Now, three key theories here. I'm going to go through them. Go on. So, um, number one, actually, yeah, number one, having a wedding in Windsor Castle. Windsor Castle has private apartments, so stands to reason she could just stay in the private apartments Easy. and walk there. Uh, so, according to the Daily Express, with lots to do before the royal wedding, with hair, makeup, photos, and putting putting to the dress itself, well written, it is expected that Meghan will stay somewhere close the night before. So. This seems the mm-hmm. most logical thing. I've gone. I've done pros and cons for all of these. These are my own, not the Daily Express. Again, they could be very similar to what she already has herself. Exactly. Pros. Convenient. That's it. I think that's what I want on my wedding day. Convenience. Convenience. I agree. Both partner Actually, and arrangements. Again, well, I'm very convenient. I'm right here. Um, <laughs> again, uh, best wedding I've ever been to. Ceremony, reception, and accommodation all in one place. Your house. Not my house. <laughs> The house of a mate. <laughs> no, it was uh, this guy's. This guy rented uh, a pl- big, nice house, and that was where everything happened. And it was brilliant because everyone. Firstly, if you Joe, drink, it was a very posh place. I, but it was a very posh place. But this wasn't one of my posh friends. Oh, so 
So, oh, jokes bo- on oh, you, boy or woman done good. Yeah, as absolutely. I refer to them, absolutely. <laughs> um, so convenient. Other one, and this is much bigger, and it ties into last week. You know who was born in Windsor Castle and who was famously, uh, famously made improvements to it? Her ancestor, Edward the Third. And as we established last week, she is bringing back that lineage, can't remember the name of that family, and taking over the Windsors again. She'll be queen. She started the night before the wedding. Ed- exactly. Edward, Third w- th- Edward the Third was born there, and according to research that I did, he spent £50,000 in old medieval money, <laughs> 1300s money. <laughs> Just interject, I don't think anything undercuts research more than the, the, the clause that I did. <laughs> <laughs> the research, what uh, I did. According to the science that I did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he spent £50,000 which on Windsor Castle improving it, turning it from a fortress into a palace, um, which is more than any other medieval English king spent on any other single building. Uh, and he literally built the original versions of the apartments that she would stay in if she stayed there. Wow. Which I think is a nice circular moment. That's lovely. Again, in her increasing and devious bid plan <laughs> to take over. Cons. Windsor Castle keeps burning down. 1296, 1853, 1992. All burn downs. Uh, two of those burnings happen under Windsor's, so that's not, mm. not a good thing. Uh, you know when it didn't burn down? When Edward III was in charge. Not yep. going to burn down. And, another con, Windsor Castle is properly haunted. Like, really haunted. Let me go through some. Charles I executed there. Henry VIII haunts it. His daughter, Elizabeth I, haunts it. And according to the BBC Berkshire article I wrote, the sad face of Mad King George III haunts it as well. Oh, his face is flying about. Because he was, I don't know, I think it appears in paintings, I think they said. How do you know that's not just a painting? Well, because it's sad. Or is it a painting of something else? And then Maybe he's least... smiling and then you see it and he's like... Well, <laughs> like when you put those creases in a fiver and you... <laughs> yeah, and you make the <laughs> queen's nose sad. disappear. Uh yeah, so there's that. Uh, the deanery there is haunted by a young boy who shouts, I don't want to go riding today, which is the whiniest ghost I've ever heard of. And the coolest story is that of Hearn the Hunter, who was the favourite hunter of Richard II because he saved him from being gored by a stag. Uh, and then he was framed for theft and hanged himself in Windsor Castle, which is quite sad for Hearn the Hunter. So I'm glad he's got a nice life in good grounds hmm. or afterlife. Uh, so that's the pros and cons of Windsor Castle. I think it's it's up and down. I think the hauntings are a pro. Could, well, of course you do, but you're, you're a little gothy boy. Yeah. But there's uh, <laughs> it's convenient and you know nicely circular in terms of historical sequences, mm-hmm. but lots of death. Second, Frogmore House, which I like the name of the most. Uh, this 17th century English country house is often used by the royal family for private and official functions. Located a mile south of Windsor Castle, Frogmore House has been a royal residence since, since, since 1792 and is around 20 minutes' drive from St George's Chapel, where they will be married. So still quite convenient. Actually, it? these are all very convenient in terms of Windsor. Pros. Queen walks her corgis there because the gardens are so nice. And in a beautiful bit of detail that I found out, there is a permanently installed dog bowl there that says dog next to a gothic folly, (laughs) (laughs) which I love. 
Uh, and it was Queen Victoria's favourite place. Uh, even in death, she refused to be buried in the normal place for uh, <laughs> her. refusing. She refused to be buried. <laughs> Tried to bury her somewhere else. You're having none of it. Yeah, coffin kept turning up sideways. <laughs> um, she, uh, yeah, she refused to be buried where sovereigns normally are buried and had to be buried in uh, Frogmore House. Oh. Uh, cons, absolutely tons of royal corpses under the ground because it's where most royals that aren't kings or queens are buried. Oh, it's where you put the riffraff. It's where you put. It's where you put. Uh, I don't know. That's, that's where Prince Andrew will go. Yeah, and Mike Tyndall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and another con. No one has lived there for a little bit. This is probably really dusty. Oh, fixer upper. Exactly. Uh, and third. And finally, based on the Express, uh, the Royal Lodge, which, uh, to come back to what I just said, has been the official residence of Prince Andrew since 2004, following the death of Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother, who lived there for 70 years. Uh, The Royal Lodge, pro, hasn't always been the Royal Residence, and it's, in relative terms, quite small. Still fucking massive. Uh, And it's in keeping with the non-traditional approach for their (laughs) wedding. Very non-traditional. I wrote that pro. I've been learning from the papers that you can just say anything's non-traditional and it's a good point. <laughs> if it's not the one that everyone's done, it is by de facto non-traditional. Exactly. It's the banana cake houses. Eight. Um, and uh, the cons, again, Queen Mother died there, so it's probably haunted. Queen Elizabeth But was- haunted by someone who would like to attend the wedding. Would she? Because I, I don't know if you can stay out. Is Queen Mother nice? I don't know much about her. She's a bit mean in... People um, quite like her. When Helena Bonacarta was her, she seemed a bit mean. <laughs> what, in what? In Harry Potter? No, the, the That's not the Queen King's Mother. Speech. Oh, yeah. I was she mean in that? I think she was mean in that. Oh, no, she was quite nice. People I'll seem to like the Queen Mother. Uh, and the cons... Uh, another con, sorry. Prince Andrew lives there. Um, mm, that is big. And I'm not going to get into it. But just look up Prince Andrew and see what you think about it. Uh, so, I don't think any of those are good enough. There's too many cons in all of them. So I've come up with my own idea, and I want Harry and Meghan to consider it. At Legoland Windsor, you can get a room themed after Ninjago uh, of the recent animated film. Hello. Fame. And let me tell you pros and cons of this. Pro. Two miles from the venue, mostly along a dual carriageway. Easy access, not going to get blocked up. Excellent. You'll get there in no time. Uh, the room comes with Ninjago-themed weapons. I'll look this up. So that's pro for safety. Excellent. If you get invaded. Again, lovely bit of theme. I'm all for theming. When it exactly. Comes to like some Lego shurikens. Yeah. You'd be fine. Uh, you get a free breakfast in the Bricks family restaurant. Uh, you get a free Lego gift in the room, which I think would occupy Megan. What if she it? was... Uh, what are we talking? Minifig and a bo- poly bag? I'm guessing minifig and a poly bag. Blind bag? You're royal. You don't have to do blind Probably bags. Probably Ninjago. Yeah, if it was or her, ma- she'd get Millennium Falcon. Or maybe she goes to, like, Brick Fan or Brickpedia, and she knows the secret codes on the back of blind yeah, bags. That's a good point. Uh, and she also gets Legoland Park tickets with part of that honeymoon, question mark, I've written. And cons, literally zero. I can't think of a single con about that place. Can I think you? that's great, yeah. Like, Ninjago-themed I- room at Legoland. I think that wins. Well, I, I, I think... Yeah, I, I don't think there's anything quite like... Nothing says Royal Wedding more than... Danish Danish miniature blocks. Danish Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we basically kind of decided where they're going to stay the night before the wedding. What they're going to um, do. That's it for now, but we'll be back in a minute. 
try to warn you as much as possible. Welcome back. Uh, so we finished our four contextual or timely news stories of the week. Now we'll go to what will hopefully become our more regular features. Uh, basically, each week, uh, as we set up last week, I will be arriving with some sort of conspiracy or more strange news uh, that seeks to destroy the very fabric of the royal wedding, usually. And I've been doing a bit of history I've done. You love doing a bit of history you've done. Uh, again, this week it's mainly just me googling cake. <laughs> I'm not even a big cake fan. Yeah. I'd rather a big pork pie. Oh, but again, I have to work within limitations. That immediately made me hungry. And yeah. I'm going for dinner in a minute. What David Starkey of cake. Um, do you know the history? Oh, basically, I've gone through and seen what other people have had for their wedding cakes. Right. So the very Wait, other royals. The other royals. Oh, yeah. um, stuffy, stodgy, multi-tiered cakes. You've got what Edward III um, had. But like, I thought, do you know like where wedding cake comes from as a thing? Uh, I, I don't know. Guess, guess. Yeast. Um like a lot of things that we do, it goes back to ancient Rome, Joe. <gasps> really? And do you want to know what it symbolizes? I'm going to say murder? Because <laughs> you have to stab it a like, lot. Like a lot of like cultural symbolism. I think it's a bit of a stretch. The simple <laughs> act of breaking bread in half over a head of a... So originally, a cake would be broken in half above the head of a bride. That's not a good cake. And apparently this symbolized the breaking of the bride's virginal virginal state i should say and the subsequent dominance of the groom over her and it doesn't sound very romantic no not at all um but i went through and basically recent you know it's mainly became a very popularized thing during the victorian people um period like a lot of like our common traditions like yeah, Christmas yeah, yeah onwards when's that gonna change when do we start making our own well i was wondering about this when does it all when can we like basically just start everything again because it's why is it not like everything becomes retro at some point it's not retro to have a wedding cake yet. That's I, been ages. Like, I, I just want to duck on Christmas. I am wearing things that like people wore in the 90s. And we're still eating wedding cake. Like, I have an argument with my mum every Christmas about why it's all right to have a duck at Christmas. And she's having none of it. While we're watching Christmas Carol. Will, will they, they get have, a goose? Will they get a goose? And I'm like, we don't have to have a turkey. We can break those shackles. Duck is so then last good, year, my mum got a turkey from Aldi late on. She thawed it out on Christmas Day and it went mouldy. Come so, on, so we mate. had backup chicken thighs. Backup chicken. <laughs> backup chicken. I've gone from engagement chicken to backup chicken. <laughs> we um, still need to make that. So what you basically find in recent royal history in terms of weddings is kind of like escalation. It's like the end of Batman Begins again. Oh, like I yes, bring everything please. back to that scene, of but course. it is the escalation. You know, Victoria comes out with Kevlar. So Prince George comes back with armor-piercing cakes. Of course. Um, Queen Victoria and Albert had a basically... The cake was 14 inches high and weighed approximately 300 pounds. That is a dense cake. That's like a neutron star. <laughs> like, but it was three yards in circumference. Like, what? I don't know. How, I, I, that is like dark matter. Like, I don't... What oven are you getting? Like, I'm just going to say, I don't think that would be very pleasant to eat. No. So what you get from now on is fairly like a kind of escalation, either height or weight. Always go height. And so Prince George and Princess May of Tech... May of Tech yeah, place, not like not Silicon Valley. Yeah, I was going to say. Um, they had a cake that was almost seven feet high. And yes, it took please. Five weeks to make with almost forty separate pieces of plaster used to create the figure mold you know, that be, embellished it. Have you ever watched Cake Boss? I, I I've never watched Cake Boss, but I'm aware of Cake. Boss. The best thing about Cake Boss is not them making the cake or the boss himself. It's the bit where they have to get. <laughs> 
ludicrously elaborate cakes from Cake Boss's Cake Boss Kitchen in Baltimore to wherever it needs to go because it's absolutely terrifying. Like, because they wobble, like, there's moving parts. Is it like, not like, you can't just build a more suitable carrier, carrier like a foam? Line. I mean, they should. But the, the worst thing is, right, there have been episodes of Cake Boss where the cake falls over and breaks, which introduces real jeopardy. It's not like an action movie where you know the hero's not going to die. <laughs> that hero, the cake, can die, and the boss could have to fire someone, because he's the boss. Uh, and it's terrifying. And all I'm imagining, <laughs> when you're talking about a seven-foot bloody cake, is someone who's the equivalent medieval cake boss is getting his head cut off. <laughs> horrible. Also, I think... 300 pound cake. Somebody's getting killed by the cake as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so again, this keeps on going. Prince Albert, when he made, married Lady Elizabeth Bowers Lyon. Um, Mouthful, isn't it? I know. God, there's some of these royal Wait, names. Wait, who was that? Bowers Lyon. Lady Elizabeth. Uh, who married? Prince Albert. He's later known as King George the Sixth. Okay. It's too many names. I don't know, is it's it? too many names and not enough surnames. Yeah, I totally That's agree. That's the problem with the system. Get Gee. a bloody surname between you. Um... So when they were married, um, they had a wedding breakfast, which is tradition quite a lot back in those days. They had, um, there were 14 wedding cakes. Oh, uh, grow up. And the main cake was 10 feet tall and weighed 300 pounds. Which that's I think, the combination of the two. Which I think is kind of interesting because if that's 10 feet tall and weighs 300 pounds, how dense is Victoria's cake, which is 14 inches high and still weighs 300 pounds? Yeah, but pounds? didn't you say it was three yards wide? It's three yards in circumference. And I don't know if that's one of those measurements that's hard to imagine. Wait, which one's diameter and which one's circumference? Circumference is like the outer right round. rim. Yeah. So, but that's deceptive, isn't it? Because like sometimes that I reckon might that might be, be the table we're at. We were at a circular table. I reckon that's three yards. Um, big table. Again, stodgy cakes. It's no banana cake. Yes, yeah, full of bloody raisins. Wait to this. Current queenie. Liz and Philip, their main cake. Listen to this, bastard. Four-tier cake was nine feet high. Four tiers? Four tiers, nine feet high. It's nothing. It's nothing because the one before was ten. But guess it. Wait, this. 500 pounds. Yeah. And also, if it's four tiers high, think of the (laughs) thickness. One, like, think about how you normally slice a wedding cake. You slice from the top of a tier to the bottom of a tier. You get in the bottom tier, you're getting like a... Four feet. <laughs> Four feet slice. Do you want to take some wedding cake up? No. No, it doesn't fit in my car. Absolutely, you've got to get on the tube. <laughs> I can't get it through. I've got a Chicacento. It's not going to go in. <laughs> um, but, you know, by the time we get to July 29th, 1981, when Prince Charles and Lady Diana were married, obviously in austerity Britain, and they could only muster a measly 27 wedding cakes. Absolute nerds. And the main cake was five tiers. <laughs> So five feet high and style. That's sim- shorter than me. And, I don't care. And Joe, it was styled simply with only a few embellishments and took fourteen weeks to create. Absolute. Like you've let us. There's no wonder they divorced. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to hang over the whole and marriage. As we come to the most kind of um, recent of wedding uh, royal wedding cakes. So Prince William and Kate, when they got married, they had a, again went back to tradition. As oh, he expected to, of William. They did. You know, he's next in line on the throne after his father. So, a very traditional, stodgy fruit cake. Very orthodox marriage, a very orthodox cake for very orthodox people. And it was covered in white fondant with customary piping and scroll work, which, you know, God, you can just imagine how delightful that was. Jim. Well, yeah, but he's an absolute banana lover, from what I remember. <laughs> oh, that's the thing. Wait, no, that's the wrong, that's not a phrase I want. <laughs> 
I don't mean Joe. He's a future king for crying out loud. But he is. He loves a banana. Well, they do. Doesn't sound bad. Harry Harry, um, likes a banana too. But this is where William uses his influence. Kicks into high gear. He does. He, like... Kate and everyone else is organised this very traditional main cake. He's not got he's, a little secret cake in the back room. He's off texting a guy called Barry Colenso. He's <laughs> 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 he, <laughs> he texting Barry, Baz, Bazzo, master chocolatier, oh. who works for the McVitty Cake Company. And he is commissioned to create a special secret cake for William. It's not a secret. Well, I don't know. Stop saying it's secret. Um, You're the one the holding room. the actual story. Yeah, but I've written it. So. <laughs> um, the actual recipe. So apparently, William. Like, when I heard McVitie's, I thought it was, was going to basically be the royal version of Pin My Snack. A big digestive. <laughs> a big digestive. <laughs> but apparently... Barry was commissioned to recreate a very classic Tiffin cake William favoured as a child. I just want him to have a massive Jaffa cake. And yeah. he's like the ultimate like pin the, my snack. The one they had to make for court. Yes, to prove that to it prove was To prove the Jaffa cakes are cakes. Cake or a biscuit. Yeah. One's a luxury item, one's not, one's taxed and one isn't. Exactly. If you have no in-depth knowledge of British confectionery taxation, that might not be interesting to That you. was a bigger story than the fucking poll tax. It's all we talk about. Um, but yeah, William commissioned this special cake. Hmm. Anyway, so that kind of wraps up my potted history of royal wedding cakes. That was, like, very, very enjoyable. And informative, I thought. Yeah. But one little addendum. While I was um, researching this, do you know there's this suspi- like the superstition coming, like, um, related to wedding cakes? That traditionally, a lot of um, bridesmaids, you know, like they would catch the bouquet and then you're, you're supposed to be the one who's next in line for marriage. Yes. So there's also this tradition I've never heard of right. where if you're a bridesmaid and you want to get married sometime soon, what you do is you take a bit of the cake, cake home with you and you put it under your pillow and you start sleeping with that cake. That's absolutely disgusting. That's or, like or, or you put it, or you put it, Or you put it in your left stocking. Well, you got a big old triangular slice in your leg. Would you marry someone who had a bit of mouldy cake under their pillow? Just some freaky cake woman. (laughs) Because I would, yeah. That's really weird. Anyway, there you go. I don't like that. That's your lot. That's your lot. You soured it like that cake would taste at the end of the (laughs) mouldy pillow manoeuvre. Well, I enjoyed your history, and I enjoyed all of our stories about how they're planning the wedding, but unfortunately, none of it will be required, and this podcast will be cancelled, because in Joe's Conspiracy Corner this week, I bring you this story from the Daily Star. Harry and Meghan will split before wedding, says Psychic, who even knows when! I'm going with the traditional shouted capital letter sections in tabloid headlines. Let me read you this disturbing news from a Psychic. As smitten Harry and Meghan plan their fairy tale royal wedding, a psychic who predicted when they would engage has spelled out a disastrous few months ahead for the couple. Lindsay Edwards, who claims a spirit channels the future through to her, bizarrely claims January will be the start of the end for the US actress and Ginger Prince. <laughs> I love that they immediate they do that thing where you can't repeat a name or description. Yes, yeah, yeah. So it gets always like, having to be a new pro. It's just all mad stuff. I've said that, I might just keep doing that the rest. She reckons Harry and Meghan will be embroiled in heated arguments before realising they're not right for each other and splitting on the eve of the big day. So when she's in Legoland Windsor, having a little kip... Opening her Ninjago poly bag... He's looking forward to the banana cake, 
They're texting each other, furious. Yeah, she's like, oh, I did I got a bloody fisherman minifig instead of the <laughs> Captain America I wanted. And he's like, oh, uh, grow up. And she's like, uh, that's off. It's just insurmountable difference is what I like Ninjago. He likes Nexo Knights. Exactly. He, he wouldn't buy the Death Star. Uh, yeah. That's a shame, isn't it? The psychic e- has even set a date for when her spirit guide sees the pair splitting. March or April. Not a date, just two months. Different things. And thinks it will be Harry that makes the call. Harry's calling it off because he's got all the kingly power. Apparently. Lindsay told Daily Star Online, I was right about the timing of their engagement. I predict that the wedding will be called off and they'll split up a month or two before. Carrying on the exact same story we've already been told. Explaining her spirit guide's findings, she said, Meghan and Prince Harry get on really, really well. But they're still in the honeymoon period of their relationship, which is not true, because they've literally got the honeymoon to go on. And they're yet to see every side to each other. Once this honeymoon phase passes... Oh, sorry, I should say, as it's written, once this honeymoon phrase passes, which is now, is gone, there will be heated arguments, which they'll struggle to repair from, and each argument will become bigger than the last... It's a shame, as at the beginning of their relationship, they were so happy together and really in a state of bliss. This is why they'll both struggle emotionally after the split and wonder how it could have gone so wrong and so quickly. Lindsay's got a really nice outlook on life, doesn't she? Um, Apparently, I've worked out... Oh yeah, there we go. Lindsay's predictions go one further to even predict, my spirit does feel that the girl Harry meets not long after the split from Meghan is the one... (laughs) And that's a picture of Oh, what's Lindsay. her name, Lindsay? There you go. There's Lindsay. Can we press Lindsay for a name I think the we next probably person? should. I really like... There's a picture of Lindsay, and she's, uh, she's very smiley, but she appears to have taken the picture uh, in the corner of what looks like a utility room in a house behind the door as if she's hiding. <laughs> like they've had to burst into the room, and she's like, I better smile, they got me. <laughs> it's really weird. Well, Lindsay, 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 Lindsay. As yeah, as always, I want you to analyse this story and see what you think of it. Well, I think like a lot of astrology, mm. it is predicated upon what I think is it's like the P.T. Barnum effect. Was it the four effects? It's the one where you make general statements that have some semblance to yeah. generic, so you see yourself in them. What she's described for the most part is a relationship. Yes, <laughs> eventually absolutely. the honeymoon period will be over, and you will be got to begin to fight. That will be inevitable. What I will say is, if this doesn't happen on the eve of the wedding, then I think we might, Lindsay's reputation as a psychic Psych- might slight, take a slight dent. It might be in tatters. Yeah. Um, I do really like that the idea of, uh, you know, a, a happy couple splitting up for the, for the first part, as well as uh, the inevitable huge cost uh, and wasted cost to the taxpayer could be described as a shame. Oh, it's such a shame. Shame. What a problem. Banana cake does not keep. No, it doesn't. That's going away straight off. And also, uh, there was something else I wanted to point out about that story. I can't remember. The entire thing was bullshit. (laughs) So that's that. What a lovely time. Thanks, Lindsay, you purveyor of bullshit. Yeah, you've done very well Um, once again. I think that's that's it for this week, right? Yeah, absolutely is. Um, If you want to contact us, you should email show at thewindsornotpod.com. Absolutely. And if you enjoyed the episode, you should give us a review on iTunes, which I think I would like very much. I would love to read some of them. 
And have we decided on the theme for next week's show? We haven't. We do that retroactively, of course. We do. We find all the stories first and then go, wouldn't that be all right? Okay, cool. Well, we'll see you next week. Love you. Bye. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.